Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. Today I'm going to talk to you on the thought of don't be double-minded. Don't be double-minded. And... um, I'm going to read uh, from James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 from the NLT, and then I'm going to read just verse 8 from the New King James. Uh, So uh, James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. And then in the New King James, I didn't read that one. A double-minded man, unstable. Is that the whole verse? I must have meant seven too. That's all right. So a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place today, God. Lord, we thank you that we can rejoice in all that you are to us. And we just ask your blessing upon this, this message in Jesus' name. Amen. So don't be double-minded. We need to stop uh, being double-minded as believers. And what that means is we need to stop being led by the voice of faith and the voice of fear at the same time. We have, to, uh, we have to make sure that we're, that we're not unstable in what we do because if we're unstable in what we do, we're never going to accomplish the work that God has for us uh, to accomplish. It's just not going to happen. And well, when, I, when I think of this, it, it reminds me of my uncle. Now, everybody's got a crazy uncle. You, you know that. And unfortunately, what happens is people are having less kids and so your chances of being that crazy uncle are going up uh, with every generation. So I'm the only boy in the family, so I'm everybody's crazy uncle, uh, uh, depending on, well, uh, Monty's got a brother and Jill's got, uh, uh, Brian's got, I think, four, three or four. So maybe I'm not the crazy uncle, but my chances are there. But I, this uncle, I loved him to death. He was one of the best uncles I had. He's, he, was, he was awesome. But he uh, was actually on disability from mental illness. And uh, because of the, the condition that he suffered from, he suffered from uh, several things, but one of them was uh, 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 he had a little bit of schizophrenia too. And uh, it caused him, as good as he was, he was very intelligent, he was nice, honest, one of the best people you could be around, but he was unstable. And uh, it caused him issues. Um, he did strange things. Have you been around people? They're really good people, but they just, you know, they can have so much knowledge about different things when it comes to God and other things, but then there's just something about them and it just seems a little unstable. 
And so, uh, so just a couple of things he would do. He loved to drive, but he couldn't drive very well. He was dangerous. And uh, I remember he came to me one day. Uh, did, when did anti-lock brakes come out? They came out. I don't remember when they came out. And he told me, he said, Aaron, I got a car with anti-lock brakes, and I tested them out. I thought, well, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, maybe he pumped the brakes in the driveway or something. He said, I got out on 95. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I got up to 70 miles an hour, and then I just locked them up because it's supposed to not make you swerve. It's like, well, did it work? He said, yeah, it worked. I don't know how bad he damaged his car testing it out, but he tested it out. He didn't trust the experts. Um, because of the medic, now, by the time I can really remember him, he had gone all through the, you know, the denial stage and the, um, you know, flushing his pills, saying he didn't ever need them again. He was really working with the doctors, and so it was a lot, a lot better from the time I can remember in his life than when he was really battling the illness that had put him. I never remember him working. I remember him on disability the whole time. Uh, he had a great job, all those different things, but he just, he was unstable. And so the medication he had been on, he always had dry mouth. So he was drinking something constantly. And I, have, I had never would see him, other than if we were in a restaurant or something, ever drink from a normal-sized glass. He had to have a big Bose iced tea, the extra large, the biggest one they had. And for some reason, he would never use a straw, even while he was driving. So, you know, the, the rim on that cup's like this big. So he was the one you called if you wanted to check out from school because he didn't even need a reason. He was coming to get you. If you just, you know, if you just had a test you didn't want to take or something, like, you know, uh, we, uh, mom worked, so we had him on the call list. You just call uncle, my, our uncle. He'd come get you for anything, no questions asked. And so the only thing was, were you going to survive to drive back to the house? <laughs> Usually, if you caught him with an upset stomach, you were cured by the time you got home. You couldn't go to the bathroom if you wanted to. You were so tense <laughs> because he would show up and he would say on the way home, oh, I'm going to swing in here at Bojangles and get me a nice tea. And you're thinking, no. First thing, lid comes off. He's driving down the road, going to take a big swig. And so no, he can't see anything. His eye, both eyes are covered. Then he wants to talk to you, and he's like this driving, talking to you. He never looks at the road. You need new shoes by the time you get home because you have dug all the insole out with your toes where they're so tight. But he was a great guy. He was one of those close talkers. You never, he would embarrass you because if you go somewhere and he was going to ask somebody a question, he would like get less close to him to talk to him. But then ask him anything. Man, he knew the Bible frontwards and backwards. He went to church every time the doors were open. You know, he was one of them. He attended like three churches. And uh, he loved the Lord. That's all he did. But he was still unstable. And see, what happened was, and what we have a lot of times that happens in the church, his condition was so severe and went on for so long that it got to a place that he was so unstable he couldn't trust himself. Not that he couldn't trust himself that he was going to do something bad or something like that, but that he was easily led astray. And so it got to the point, now my, my cousin, his son, they're teenagers, and him and his buddies have started smoking cigarettes. And uh, my uncle doesn't know. 
And uh, I, I never, I, I never was a smoker. So I, I'm outside with him, and my cousin's hanging out with his buddies, and he decides he's going to light up a cigarette. So he's out there smoking uh, right outside the house, and my uncle walks through the kitchen and sees him through the window smoking a cigarette. And he is upset because he didn't know his son was smoking. He busts out the back door. What are you doing smoking that cigarette? Real quick, my cousin just puts it in, flip, flicks the end of it off, puts it in his pocket and pulls out a pen and says, what are you talking about? He says, you're smoking a cigarette. He said, no, I'm not. I was chewing on this pen. It still smells like smoke. I mean, he just put the <laughs> cigarette out. He says, I thought I saw you smoking. He said, you know you're crazy. You didn't see me smoking a cigarette. I was chewing on this pen. Immediately, he says, oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was a cigarette. I didn't realize it was a pen. Do you forgive me? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to come out here and bust out in front of your friends and all that. He was that it was that easily influenced. You can still smell cigarette smoke. Somehow, you can see it in the air probably through the window, and now he's convinced that he just saw him chewing on a pen. And that's how it was, because if he ever, anything that he said to you, if he thought he was wrong, he apologized a lot. And we have a lot of that in the church. You know, you have people that they'll, they'll be convinced about something, tell them one little thing, they'll drop it. We preach on faith all the time, and somebody talks about what they believe in and how they're going to stand strong on it, tell them one thing that may, would make them question, they'll drop it. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right, I was wrong. We, we've got to stop being double-minded because the world is constantly going to question what we know to be truth from the Word. And, that, and, and we have uh, double-minded people, and that causes us to be unstable in all our ways. And notice, I told you, my uncle was amazing. He was awesome. He was a good, uh, great man of God. He was full of faith. He was full of wisdom and all this stuff. I'm not saying he was bad. He was unstable. So in this message, I'm not questioning anybody's salvation. I'm not saying anybody's a bad person. It doesn't even have anything to do with being, uh, living a life of sin. It's the fact of being unstable. And so I'm just going to point out a few things to you today, hopefully to get you to think about it when it comes to being completely loyal and committed to God and to the Word of God. There are a lot of good people out there, but they're unstable. There's probably a lot of good people in here, but some of us, are, we're all going to battle it at some point in time. We all have moments of being unstable, but, but there are a lot of people and they live their whole lives that way. They're just, they're unstable to the point they've been saved 25 years and they still don't trust themselves to even tell someone what God's done for them or, or what they, they believe. They're, they're afraid to do it. And see, Satan wants to keep us that way because he knows that he's defenseless against a born-again believer that's walking in faith, walking in the Spirit, and acting upon the Word of God. And so in order to stop the revelation of God's Word uh, in our lives, what he does is he uses the tool of deception to try to get us to believe and agree with something that looks good, maybe even sounds good, but really it's just a lie of the enemy. And this usually happens in the form of religion. And two reasons that this happens in the, the form of religion is because there are a lot of good people that they wind up blinded by religion to the point that it makes them easier to deceive. It either gets them way off and left field with something crazy, or it causes them just to sit down and do nothing because they're afraid they'll make a mistake. And see, although the enemy has no defense against our real spiritual weapons, the second reason that he uses religion, he can easily defend himself against the weapons of religious tradition. And that's all that a lot of churches have left to offer people. 
And it's not supposed to be that way. And so the enemy tries to get us to, uh, to agree with his deception. And for a long time, for generations, I guess you would say, one of the major deceptions that Satan has been sowing in the church is that our problems, our trials, our temptations, and our sicknesses are sent by God to teach us and develop us, especially to develop us spiritually. Look, we're all going to go through trials. We're all going to face temptations. We're all going to get sick in our bodies from time to time. And yes, God will use those things. He'll use the things that we go through uh, to teach us and to, to help us to learn and grow and, and mature as we face those things. But God does not make people sick. God doesn't mistreat us in order to teach us things. He's a good father, and a good father doesn't abuse his kids. It's not the way that it works. It's totally against his character. God is not the author of our troubles, and he does not tempt us. James 1, verse 13 and 14, it says, And remember when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And you've seen people fall into temptation and talk about being tested by the Lord and they failed and this and that. God's not, he tests us with things, but temptation comes from our own desires. It comes from, you got to think about this. What sin have you ever committed that you didn't think about first? You've never just committed a sin and been like, whoa, how did that happen? You thought about it for a while before, before it happened. I don't know how I cheated on my wife. I do. You sat around and thought about things you shouldn't think about for months, maybe years, and an opportunity presented itself. Oh, God tempted me with this woman. No, no. God doesn't tempt people. Okay? We can't believe this live deception turned doctrine that the enemy's given us and people have just jumped all over it. The basic principle of the Christian life is to know that God put our sin, our sickness, our disease, our sorrow, our grief, and our po poverty on Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. He took care of it all. So for God to put any of that back on us now would be like God was saying that what Jesus did was not enough. He's not going to do it. Jesus was made a curse for us so that we can receive the blessing of Abraham. Jesus was made that way because God wants to bless us. Jesus was and is enough, and it's never going to change. And so someone might say, well, but what about when Jesus told that man to, to go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon him? Yeah, Jesus wasn't threatening the guy. He was warning him. Sickness is not a punishment for sin, but it is a product of sin. It's just how it is. We just read in James 1, 13 and 14, if you read verse 15, it says, these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So sin gives birth to death, or it produces death. In what way more than likely is sin going to produce death? If you start sinning, it's going to produce death. What's going to happen in the middle? Unless it's some kind of crazy thing, it's going to be sickness and disease that leads you to death. It's a, it's a product of it. It's not a punishment. Jesus has already taken all that upon himself at the cross. Another question that we might have is about the chastisement of the Lord. Have you ever had that thought in your mind, that, you know, that, the verse, I'm going to read it here, but he, in Hebrews 12, it says, uh, verse 5 and 6, it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? 
My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, scourges every son whom he receives. So have you seen people, they've just been going through like, like everything's attacking them. Their life is in shambles and all that. And they say, yeah, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. I don't know about that. That seems a little rough to me. See, here's the thing. We have the words chasten, rebuke, and scourge. Okay? Now, we see in the Old Testament where the word chastisement means punishment a lot of times, usually by inflicting pain. But in the New Testament, the Greek word translated chastise can mean to instruct or to train. The word that's translated rebuke will mean verbally reprove. The word that's translated scourge from the Greek, okay, so here's the thing. In the Greek, it means to flog, to, to, to beat, and all these different things. But um, you have to think now, this book was written, it's called Hebrews. So it was written to the Hebrews. So more than likely, it was written in he Hebrew. You should have known that answer. <laughs> And a lot of people believe that way, but by the time uh, it was that they believe it was written in Hebrew to begin with, and then it was translated into Greek, and then we translated it into English from the Greek. And so from the Greek, we get the one meaning of the word scourge, but in the Hebrew, there's two mean there's there's multiple meanings. And uh, some of those meanings, it can mean to severely punish, but it can also mean to inquire into uh, or to, to draw to himself, to, to attract. Uh, to tug at the heart, uh, those types of things. And so what we have to realize when we start saying this, people get, the, the enemy comes in, he tries to deceive you by thinking that these bad things are happening. Oh, this is God. And God doesn't work that way. See, God chastens us with his word. And God doesn't send hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and cancer to chasten us. He sends a word. That's how he, that's how he operates. God chastens us with his word that trains us and instructs us. He rebukes us with the, a verbal reproof of our spirit man saying, hey, that was wrong. You messed up. You shouldn't have done that. And then through the Holy Spirit, he scourges us that he tugs at our hearts and he draws us to himself. He inquires into us that this is how you can make this better. This is how you were supposed to live. This is how you're meant to be. And so that's how he operates. But see, it doesn't seem that way to many of us because we've been bombarded by deceptive lies of the enemy about our father. And for some reason, we put up with it. We're double-minded. Double it makes us unstable because if, if someone said some of the things about our earthly father, which we all know none of our earthly fathers are perfect, they lose their temper, they get it wrong, they make mistakes. Some of them are just bad guys. <laughs> But still, you can have someone and they can have a father that is a bad guy. You said some of the things about him that we allow the enemy to say about our heavenly father. You'd never put up with it. We talk about how God is perfect in all of his ways and he's so good you can never explain his goodness. He's better than you could even imagine, that you could ever think. And then the enemy comes up with some silly lie and we just believe it right away. That God put cancer on this person or that God, you know, took this little seven-year-old or eight-year-old because it, crazy stuff that, that we believe. Sickness and disease is a, a product of sin. And you, it, it can be a sin that's in your life or it can be just because you're in a world full of sin, a fallen world that has a real enemy that's attacking us constantly and trying to blame it on our Father and we keep putting up with it. Psalm 16, verse 7, this is in the Passion Translation. 
It says, the way you counsel and correct makes me praise you more. For your whispers in the night give me wisdom, showing me what to do next. Now, doesn't that sound more like the, the way I just described it versus the whole thing of God's beating me to try and straighten me out? Now, I don't know about you, but my parents were spankers. And uh, I didn't get very many bad ones, but I got a couple. And uh, most of them were deserved, except for this one mom gave me one time. She just lost control. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She did. She didn't. She just happens to be one, the one in here instead of my dad, so I had to give her a hard time. But, but when they did really give me a good spanking, I don't ever remember one time thinking, man, my parents are awesome. This just makes me want to praise my mom and dad. They're just amazing. But here it's talking about the counsel and the correction of the Lord makes me want to praise you more. See, that, that's the way that God corrects. It's with the word. It, it's, not to, it's not abusing people. It's not, it's not bringing something so hard on someone that they don't know if they're going to be able to take their next breath. And with it, they're going to say, oh, praise the Lord. That was great. <laughs> that's, it's not going to happen. God's correction brings wisdom. It doesn't bring shame and guilt. The Lord chastises his children with the word, the Holy Scriptures. The word, it, we know that it's, it's the sword of the Spirit. It's a two-edged sword. And so one side's for Satan, the other side's for you and me because it sanctifies us. It's what brings that correction and holiness that we need. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So we have to stop being double-minded and stand on the word of God. Of course, a lot of us are double-minded about the word. We talk about, man, this is the word of God. This is God's letter to us. This is Jesus Christ. This, is, this is, has the answer to everything in life. And then we don't open it. It's what, which is it? We have to stop being double-minded. Now, usually the next question when you start, when you bring out the fact that God's not abusing his kids, that he corrects us with his word and that he, he, he uh, rebukes us or in, by reproving us verbally with, with our spirit man, that quenching, that, that, that feeling that we get, knowing that we did something wrong, and then he pulls us back to him with the Holy Spirit and showing us how to make things better. So they say, well, what about Job? Maybe someone in here already thought that, but... What about all the stuff that God put on him? Well, when it comes to Job, I do not have all the answers, but I do know a couple of things to, to propose to you today. The one is, this was before Christ became our substitute, for one thing. This is before Jesus took all the pain and the suffering for sin and sickness and poverty and all those things. The second thing is, God didn't put anything on Job. Satan did. Now, Satan tried to get God to do it, but God wouldn't do it. God told Satan in verse 12 of chapter 1 that all that Job had was his. It was in Satan's power and that Satan could do anything, but he could not lay his hand upon Job's person. He couldn't kill Job. And so the question then is how did Job end up in Satan's power? Because we know he was all, how amazing he was as, as a person. And so what I want to propose to you is that it may have been because Job was double-minded. Remember I said at the beginning, being double-minded uh, and unstable doesn't mean that you're a sinner, doesn't mean that you don't love God, doesn't mean that you're not a good person. It just means you're not, uh, that you're double-minded. You're not being everything that, that believing everything the way that God wants it to be. And so it says this uh, in verse 8 where God talks to Satan about Job. It says, 
Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? Now, I don't know if you know this or not. So it says there he's blameless. He's upright. He's not a bad person. But maybe you've done this before because I have done it. I have, I have lived uh, uh, several years of my Christian life this way. But uh, it's possible to make great decisions and to stay out of trouble and to do all the right things and do every bit, make every one of those decisions and do every one of those things out of fear of the consequences instead of out of faith in the rewards. It's possible. There's thousands and thousands of people that that's the way they live their, with their relationship with God. It's all about a fear of the consequences instead of having faith in the rewards that He's promised us, the abundant life He's promised us. Job was a great and upright man, but somewhere along the way, I believe, or I want to propose to you, that some of his motivation became fear-based instead of faith-based. And we already know a double-minded man is unstable of all, in all of his ways. Not bad in all of his ways. It didn't change the fact that he was blameless and upright, but he was unstable. So in verse 4 and 5, it says this. It says, And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. So he's making sacrifices for his kids, but the sacrifices that he made for his children, they were not out of faith in God. It wasn't, Oh, I'm going to say, Oh, God, thank you for all you're going to do. And and in my kids' lives and all the calling that you have upon them. No, it was, he was doing it out of fear of what his children may have done that would upset God. And it says that he did this regularly or continually. And so then in chapter 3, verse 25, Job even says this when everything's happened. He says, For the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. So not only was he operating in fear... He was operating in faith, I guess, he was because he was offering the sacrifices, believing that he could cover what his kids were doing, but he was doing that out of fear, but it moved from fear even over to dread. The thing that I dreaded has happened to me. So he had been giving this some thought. He had been spending time thinking in his mind, what's going to happen if my kids, if this happens or that happens? And, and he said, the thing that I dreaded has happened to me. Now, I'm not trying to say that Job's fears caused all these bad things to happen to him. I don't know the reason for everything, but I'm just trying to show us that being double-minded can and will make even the mo most upright person unstable. It'll make you do some crazy things. We talked about operating out of fear instead of faith. We were talking about David and Saul a few weeks ago. And I'm not going to finish the story of Job except to tell you this. Job did not have the Word of God, and he didn't have the Holy Spirit like we do. And so when he found himself in this place... Uh, he began to try everything he could to move back into the place of faith. He didn't like where he was at. He wanted, he wanted to change. And during this time, Satan sent some of his religious friends uh, there to tell him that God had done all this to him. They were all unstable too, I guess. 
Maybe you've been in that position. They're telling him, you had to have done something wrong. You, had to, you have to have sin in your life. But he was blameless and upright. So what could be going on? He was being double-minded. But see, the very moment that Job repented and moved back on his faith by praying for these same men, God began to move in his life. When Job went back to acting upon God's word, God replaced all that he had lost. See, we're all going to go through stuff. We're all going to face things. We're all going to make mistakes. And we're all going to even act double-minded on occasion. But we have too many people that they, all, they just want to identify with Job when it comes to their failures and their sickness or their situation, not realizing that Job didn't stay that way. He didn't stay that way. In the book of Job, it doesn't tell us exactly how long this process took that he went through. Um, but since it only mentions days and months and it never says years, most people believe that this process lasted somewhere from a couple of months to somewhere less than a year. And a lot of people uh, say around nine months. I saw some people would say six, but a lot of people say about nine months, and I don't know for certain. But it's probably safe to, to give that kind of time frame. Around nine months he went through this, and we know to have more children took more time than that. But if you think about it, and if you think you're like Job, that's fine. But stop being content with staying in your suffering. Start moving forward and start by renewing your mind with the Word and getting rid of double-mindedness. Job went through it in nine months. And we have people, they've been living there for decades. They're, they're even comfortable there. See, if you think that you're like Job, that's fine because Job got healed. Job got delivered. He didn't stay there. Job prospered. The Bible tells us at the beginning of the story that he was the richest man in the East. And then by the end of the story, it says God doubled it. Doubled everything that he had. See, that's the kind of double-mindedness we really need to get in the church. Double blessing, double anointing, double portion. I better stop. Somebody accused me of doing the prosperity gospel up here. <laughs> but it's true. We don't mind being double-minded the other way. You start to, you, there's preachers everywhere that are preaching all this horrible stuff about how bad everything's going to be for the rest of eternity or until Jesus comes back. Everything's terrible. Don't expect anything good. And that's, that's fine. Nobody has anything bad to say about that. But somebody talks about they're, gonna, they're expecting a double blessing, and man, you get, you get labeled. We just stay the man or woman of faith that God has made you to be and don't believe the enemy's lies. See, one of the big problems with being double-minded in the, in the wrong sense is that if you, if you don't do something about it and you don't move out of that position and, and you don't start to stand firm on your faith, before long you'll become trouble-minded. And what happens when you become trouble-minded, instead of having a fear of something bad possibly happening like Job was dealing with, you begin to expect and look for bad things to start happening. And I don't know if you know this or not, what you look for is what you're going to find. There are a lot of people that they've made a lot of money speaking and selling books that promote nothing but looking for gloom and doom. And I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm not even saying that they're not saved, but I believe they're double-minded. I know that all truth isn't sweet-smelling bed of roses or anything like that, and I'm not talking... Uh, about people that are putting out a prophetic word or, or and it's a word of warning, but also there, there should be encouragement in it somewhere. 
It shouldn't end without some type of encouragement because with uh, Christ and with God, there's always hope and there's always encouragement. But I'm talking about the obvious ones, that they're, they're not trying to build anybody's faith by what they're pushing and promoting. They're only trying to build fear. That's not the way it's supposed to be. I've had people ask me, you know, what do you, what do you think about um, God when it comes to bad things happening? And I try to be as nice as I can with responding to them. And, and everything's about what it, God. Everything's about God. And so the question really shouldn't be, why does God allow these bad things to happen when you think about it? A better question, which is even more difficult for us to answer, would be, why do we keep allowing these bad things to happen? Why do Christians keep allowing bad things to happen? The earth is our responsibility. Psalms 115 verse 16 says, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has, has, he has given to the children of men. It's our responsibility. But see, you get a lot of that in the church. We don't want responsibility because it, it, it requires something of us. And that's why there's so much. If we keep being double-minded and unstable, we're never going to accomplish what he has for us to accomplish. And you have people out there, man, they're looking for revelation, but they don't want responsibility. They want to see a move of God, but they don't, want to have, they don't want to have anything required of them. And it's never going to work. We're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. But we're the ones that are supposed to be doing His will. On earth. Who's going to do it? The sinners? We're the ones that are to carry out His will. And we do this by what we believe and by what we speak and by acting upon the Word and following the leading of the Spirit. We've been given authority in the earth. And we, we've got to operate under it. But it's never going to happen when we're not being, in, being influenced by the word the way that we should and we're being influenced by the world even more. That's double-minded and will be unstable. Nothing's going to change if we continue to let the thief run loose. If we continue to let him steal, kill, and destroy. There's nothing that, in, in a sense, when you think about it in one way, there's nothing God can do about it. He's given us this authority and, and what I mean by that, for, before I get taken out of context, if you look at it from a, a standpoint of like God as a judge, a judge has all legal authority to pass judgment, guilty, not guilty, how long the person's going to be in jail, time served, what, what the punishment should be for the crime and all this. But if the police, police officers in the field never bring the criminal in, what's the judge supposed to do? If the police officers that are in the field and that have been sent out all over the area, whatever the area covers, to see that things are being handled the way that the judge wants them handled, and they don't do anything but let the, criminal, the criminals continue to run loose, what is the judge or the law going to be able to do about it? So we have to start operating in the authority that we've been given, not to try and go out and police everybody and tell them what they're doing right and wrong, but showing people what it means to really be a Christian to really be in covenant and in relationship with God, to really have the, the light of God in our lives. See, some people are so double-minded, instead of walking around and letting our light shine, we're walking around looking like a strobe light. We're up and down and in and out, off and on, and people, instead of showing people the love and the power of God, we're probably giving them seizures. Right? They don't know what to think. They don't know which we are because we're, we're all over the place. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be stable in everything that we do. People should look to us and be able to see that we're standing firm on the, on the promises of God. Everything that he's, 
given us and everything that he's proclaimed that, that, that we can be. I think I missed something here. If I didn't, I'm about done, but I can't. My mind went unstable on me for a second. I had a thought and then it, it, it ran away. I don't know what happened to it. I don't know what happened to it. Uh, I'm not going to ask anybody about getting prayer for being double-minded because, like I said, I think we all have times in our lives when we struggle with it and we, you know, we have different things going on. But have you ever gone to pray for somebody, like not, not pray like for the person, but heard that so-and-so needed prayer and you're praying for a need in their, uh, that they have in their body and you're asking God to heal them and then the next time you the next thought you have is uh, you have this thought like now how old are they oh they're that old and you're like oh, they've already lived a full life you start almost like rationalizing that you know you, now you're not even believing for them to get healed you're planning their funeral have you ever prayed for people and had that have a thought like that happen to you or am I the only sick individual in this place that's a thank you Chima for helping me out with that and it's, it's like you, you, you're, you're trying to operate in faith, but at the same time, you really, so it doesn't really matter how old a person is. There's no reason for any sickness or disease to be the reason that they leave this earth. If they're 125 years old, they can still go peacefully when it's time, their time to go. It doesn't have to be from sickness and disease. But we've just been programmed ever since Adam and Eve made their big mishap. We've just been programmed that, uh, oh, everybody, when they reach this age, they're supposed to die. Hey, I think that thought's coming back to me. I don't, I don't know. So I'm trying not to make you stand too long. But have you thought about that? You're reading in the beginning of the book, and they're living like 600 years, 250 years, 300 years. And then you start getting back there, and now, you know, how much that has changed? It's because they didn't know they were supposed to die. It took many generations, and then they said, oh, when we get older, we're supposed to get sick and die. They didn't know. But see, we get this thing, the enemy just plugs these little things in there. And so we reach a certain age, instead of believing God for healing or for deliverance or whatever it is, it's like, oh, well, I'm 45 now. That's just how it goes. We just start accepting this. We accept this stuff, and sometimes I believe it's because we're so double-minded and unstable that a lot of these things come upon us. I wonder what it would be like if we really could stay completely focused on the Word and what it promises about walking in divine health and walking in prosperity and walking in, and prospering in all, everything as our soul prospers. What would begin to take place? Now, please don't anybody go throw any pills away today when you get home if you're on medication from the doctor. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what we believe... And, 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 and that's why the enemy attacks our brains more than he even attacks our bodies. Because what we believe is that powerful. I, I can't think of any other reason why they would live so long. And then all of a sudden now you don't. It just, it's, that's what it seems like to me. They just begin, it took a while for them to begin to believe it. Oh, I'm not supposed to be here this long. And see, the same thing has happened in the church. We start believing, oh, well, that happened way back then. 
If, if, if a move like that happened today, people will think you're crazy. Well, they thought they were crazy back then too. But they couldn't deny the power of God. They couldn't deny the move of God. They couldn't deny the presence of God. And it's not about just going after things like that, but it is about going after God. And whatever way He wants that to look like is, is, is fine for us. So Lord, we just thank You for the opportunity to be in Your presence, God. To, to spend time together, to spend time with You, Lord. And God, we repent for being double-minded. God, we don't want to be unstable, Lord, in our prayer lives, and our study lives. As we're, as we're reading the promises that You've given us, God, we want them all to just sink in, Lord. Lord, we don't want to just get into the Word. We want Your Word to get into us, that it changes everything. So God, every negative thought that we've had, Lord, even as we were, as we were proclaiming to be standing in faith, God, every thought of fear, uh, every action we took based on fear instead of faith, God, we just repent right now. Lord, we just ask You to help us, Lord, to, to stand firm and to stand in single focus, God. In what we do. God, I just pray that we would be uh, talking about moves of old God, Lord, that right now, Lord, we used to hear all the time, Lord, that we would have a made up mind. That no matter what comes against us, no matter what we face, God, nothing will change in what we believe about you and your promises and your goodness. And God, we will stand firm in that belief. And so, God, we pray for every request that's been given. Lord, it doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter what the circumstances of the person's life. It doesn't matter if it's something they brought on themselves. It doesn't matter if, it's, if they're up in age or if they're a small child. We just declare healing and deliverance and prosperity to every part of their lives. God, we just curse cancer. Lord, we just, uh, we just pray for Eileen. Lord, complete and total healing. Lord, uh, uh, creative miracles in her body to any damage that's been done from this uh, horrible disease. We proclaim the same thing over Leonard right now, God. Lord, we know that you're able, God, and we will not back down on our confession that you are good and that you are a healer. And so, Lord, we pray for Kevin, Lord. We speak to his kidneys to begin to function properly, Lord. All fluid that he's been retaining to be gone, all damage that's been caused by this sickness for all these years to be healed, Lord. We pray for Judy's foot. God, we pray that, that everything will heal properly. We pray for Pat's leg, God. And Lord, we pray for Sister Sybil, Lord. Whatever the need is, God, we just speak healing over her. Lord, we thank you for the mighty prayer warrior and intercessor that she is. And so, God, now she's the one in need, and we just lift her up before you. And we just proclaim your goodness over each and every one of them, Lord. Lord, you love them even more than we do, so we just proclaim your love over them this morning, knowing that you're going to do amazing things, knowing that you never fail, and knowing that every promise is true for every single one of your children. You don't play the favorite game, God, and we thank you for it. We thank you for your power and your presence, and we just give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.